Bitcoin fixes the money. The Texas Beef Initiative fixes the food. It's time to fight for your lifestyle and your nutrition. This is Texas Slim's vision. Hey guys, Texas Slim here. I'm with Econo Alchemist today. Um, a lot of you probably know him on Bitcoin Twitter. He's got many followings and he has a blog. He has many things going on. How are you doing today, Econo? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. Hey, you bet. Uh, what do you like to be called in public? Econo is fine. Econo, Econo. Econo Alchemist. Yeah, I've been called worse. Right. Um, <laughs> So have I, and we're going to probably get called worse as we go down this rabbit hole and truth right. and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I came across you. Go ahead. I was going to say, did you see that Huffington Post article yesterday about guns and Bitcoin? They no, were trying I did to not. I did not. Tell me about it. They were portraying the whole con conference as like this right wing or like this like alt-right extremist gathering where people learn where like criminals go to learn how to print guns and use <laughs> Bitcoin anonymously for crimes. Um, and I, you know, I presented there last year and I'm presenting there this coming April. And uh, it, it was just a total, total um, hit piece where they like, they, they have this narrative and they've just taken some information and like tried forcing around peg into a square hole. Well, you know, that's what they're very good at. I mean, I've always told people because I came from a little bit of corporate marketing. I mean, United States of America are the best marketers in the world. And, you know, they, that's just what they do. They build these marketing plans around a, a freaking narrative and right. they release it out onto the world and they, you know, they make it freaking pop culture and shit. Yep. And, you know, they, they, they're very good at it and they're getting much better at it, you know, just how they're using data and everything. So and I told everybody from the very beginning of COVID, I said, this is nothing but a marketing plan. This is a global marketing plan that's about to get kicked off here. So, you know, be prepared. And they knew what they were doing. They knew what their narrative was going to be. So same thing with the same thing with this printing, you know, 3D printing with guns and, you know, Bitcoin being the drug, you know, the drug pushers freaking form of currency. It's just hilarious to me. If anybody knows anything about real life, you know that they're lying. But there's a lot of people that don't know that they're lying. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, they're weaponizing narratives left and right, man. Yeah. And so for you, for you guys out there that don't realize this, this should be a good conversation. So tell me how you started getting into your blog and how you started writing about your stuff. So, you know, really, it, it started with um, I got this hardware wallet, the cold card. Right. And, you know, at the time, like I wasn't anybody on Twitter. I had maybe like. 10 followers and I, I got this cold card and and I said man this cold card is awesome it's got a bunch of features I'd just really like to share with everyone why I think it's awesome so I wrote down a list of 10 reasons why I thought this cold card was the answer for me and I, I put a 10 part thread out on Twitter um, called 10 reasons why I like cold card. 
and it it started getting all this attention, um, which was really foreign to me, having been an absolute nobody on Twitter. I wasn't used to getting that kind of attention. Um, and it's, it really seemed like people appreciated having somebody take a piece of technology with some perceived complexity and just kind of like break it down piece by piece and just provide a simple explanation as to what it is, what it's doing and why it's, it has value. And, and that kind of just started snowballing into, you know, what I do nowadays, which is, you know, I write, I publish guides with Bitcoin magazine. I try to make them, you know, very technical, very detailed, um, to give people the information they need to kind of bridge that gap between these developers and like the end users. Cause I, I'm not a coder. I don't know how to write code. I, you know, I barely have gotten into like networking with my last guide, setting up my ASICs and stuff. And so like, you have these people that are building these tools, but they're, they're highly technical. And then you have the people who are trying to use these tools who may not be on that technical level. And so sometimes there's this disconnect and I like to try and get in there and get my hands on this piece of technology and figure it out and kind of break it down in a way that I can turn around and explain it to someone who doesn't have like a coding background or a computer science background. And then they can read that and hopefully connect with it and, you know, you start using that tool to better their situation, to start guarding their privacy, to start being more sovereign, to start living more free. Well, what you're doing, yeah. I mean, I was talking to uh, Marty Bent the other day, and we we're talking about you know we have to paint some pictures here. And you're, you, what you're doing is you're bridging that gap, you know, of understanding, of usability, of presentation, of functionality. You know, that's pretty hard to do to to be able to translate. And that's where we get hung up with technology innovation a lot of times. And that's when we kind of become rent seekers because we don't have the usability skills that we probably should. And so there is a big void there. And that's that's a huge thing that doesn't get talked about enough is getting people to get up to speed. It's really not that they're afraid of the technology. They're afraid of the usability because they've been led down this path of, you know, we're, we're going to make you use this tool this certain way. And so once you can make people understand that, hey, you know, it's not as difficult as you think, let's dive into this. I think right. that's pretty cool. Pretty cool. That's probably the, the attraction that people, you know, that you got in the beginning, people really wanted to know more. Yeah, you know, I, I, I like to call myself a problem solver, you know, throughout my whole life, I've I've been most successful when I've been able to solve problems for people. And, you know, and that comes from, you know, whether that was academia or in my professional life, um, people have problems. And if you can like sit down and logically break it apart and come up with a solution or at least a map to kind of navigate through that problem, People need that, you know, because it's like, like if you've never worked on a car before, for example, 
and you pop the hood of a car, like, holy hell, you have no idea what you're looking at. It, it freaks you out, right? You got like these hoses and pulleys and belts and boxes and wires. And oh my God, like if you've never worked on a car, you just really have no idea what you're looking at there. But if you start like dissecting everything and breaking it down piece by piece, like you can take someone who's never looked under the hood of a car and you can help them replace a camshaft. Like, and I, and I, I've done that myself. Like I knew nothing about a car, right? but it was the necessity of having to show up to my job every day and having a total piece of shit car that led me to forcing myself to learn what's under the hood and how it works. And so that's just kind of been this, this part of who I am and what I do, you know, I, I just try and solve problems. And right. Well, you know, that's, that's, that's a gift. And a lot of times we don't realize that it's a gift of, you know, who we are as a person that we have that aptitude, basically that's That comes from a pretty, pretty founded core belief system that you're, you're, you're pulling on. And, you know, that's, you know, definitely low time preference type of thinking, of course, because if you replace a cam in a car, that's going to take a little time. <laughs> you know, you're going to need some buddies. You're going to need some help. You're, you're going to need some teamwork. And if you don't have that, you got to rely on yourself. You know, I've had to do that. I grew up around engines as well. So, you know, that analogy is perfect. And, you know, it's, it's probably what people are really searching for right now is people want to be educated, you know, and they're bringing maybe a little humility saying, hey, I know I don't know that much, but what I do know, I want to learn more stacked on top of that. Right. Yeah. So it's I like, think, go ahead. It's like we're, we're, what's the saying? We're, um, I'm, I'm forgetting the saying. It's like we're, we have this like flood of, information but like very minimal knowledge or something mm-hmm. like that. you know what i'm trying to say yeah it's it's there it's it's kind of like the spark you know the spark is not enough for that fire but it's trying to become that fire and it needs to learn a little bit more it needs a little bit more oxygen it needs a little bit more whatever it is and so that's where we are right now and because people are learning that hey you know i can learn what whatever i want through the internet now. I just have to be a better researcher. I have to go find that information. I had to dig a little bit deeper, you know, beyond the interface surface level bullshit that they're selling me. That's what Bitcoin does to a lot of people. And, you know, they learn to start thinking decentralization, you know, ownership, you know, seed, <laughs> you know, all kinds of things. So I like, you know, to, call it, I like to call it radical responsibility. There you go. It is. It's, it's you know, because to have radical responsibility is to say, I am going to surrender to truth here and I'm going to be OK with that. And right. I'm going to have to you know, I'll have to pursue that. I can't turn back now. So here we go. Right. And you, you kind of see that in each phase, each year, all that kind of stuff. So um, how did you get into mining? Because that's something that's pretty big on your brain these days. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, mining is pretty much started consuming my whole being <laughs> right um, so well, tell us started, that i want i want people to understand the, the emotional part of it as well so whenever you're explaining this you know like i said before paint a picture let people say what the freak is what is what is the obsession beyond just mining what is it about it so yeah and i can definitely i can definitely touch on that because there's a lot of um you know that that radical 
responsibility and that that sovereignty that comes with plugging in a computer and earning Bitcoin rewards for it. And so what what happened was back in, I don't know, it was like June or July of 2020, uh, Coinbase had announced that they were uh, working with three-letter agencies and they were doing their like chain analysis department and, and contracting with three-letter agencies. And up until that point, you know, I had been using KYC services and the like the self-custody piece of owning Bitcoin clicked with me like right away. I instantly understood that you have to have your own keys. What took me a while to understand was how dangerous KYC can be. And so when Coinbase made that announcement in the summer of 2020, I think it was, I, I made the decision that I was, I was not going to use KYC services any longer. And I, you know, that's where burn the bridge came from. I'm like, I'm walking across that bridge and I'm not looking back. And so it, it was kind of a, a nod to Brian Armstrong's article that he wrote around that same time about building a bridge. And so, you know, my whole thing was like, no, dude, if you're, if you're going to be taking everyone's, personal information that they provide you through those KYC services and using it to contract to three letter agencies. Like, no, I'm burning that bridge down and I'm not looking back. That is not a future I want to be a part of. So once I made the decision to go non KYC, I was, uh, you know, kind of in this predicament where, okay, well, how do I continue growing my, my Bitcoin stack now that, I'm not using KYC services. Yeah, I can use um, a decentralized exchange like BISC. I can use ATMs. Um, you know, I can earn it for goods and services, but that's not as easy as flipping a switch or downloading an app, certainly. Um, and then this dude named Diverter on Twitter, I think, I think his exact handle is Diverter underscore no KYC. Mm-hmm. He had published this guide called Mining for the Streets, and he, he published it right after the halving in May. And so by like October of 2020, I, I found that guide. And up until that point, everything I had heard about Bitcoin mining was that it wasn't profitable to do at home. You couldn't compete with large corporations who had access to cheap power. Um, You would be better off just taking the money you wasted on electricity and buying from an exchange. And all those narratives steered me away from mining. I never even looked at it because it just seemed like this black box that was out of my league. And when I read Diverter's article, he, he really shined some light on the truth of the matter. And he eloquently explained and articulated in that article that you actually could still mine Bitcoin at home. And he, he shattered these narratives. And so I, I reached out to him and I was like, hey, I read your article. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I've got a little bit of money 
um, and I'm, I'm interested in either buying Bitcoin with it or buying an ASIC with it. What do you think? And he started talking to me and he, he kind of just talked me through the whole process and pointed me in the right direction. And so um, I bought my first ASIC and plugged it in and, and realized that this was like a legit industrial grade piece of equipment that was extremely loud. It, it produced a lot of heat. And, um, if I'm going to keep my kids and wife in, you know, with me, sure. uh, I'm going to need to figure out a way to get rid of this heat and to, uh, deal with this noise. And so I, again, problem solving my, my wheels started turning and I, had, I had seen what diverter did and he, you know, he had taken a Coleman cooler and put his ASIC in there and put some ducting on it to vent the air and so i kind of took that idea and built on it and made my own enclosure and and again you know i i was just really trying to take this seemingly complex topic and break it down step by step and just document the whole thing so that other people would be able to read that and and say to themselves wow maybe this isn't so complicated once you break it down yeah, by doing that, did you start getting a lot of, um, were you writing down as you were doing the whole process? Yeah, yeah I was documenting along. Were you, were you posting it on the way as you were doing it or were you compiling? No, I, I wasn't, I don't think I really posted much. I think I, you know, maybe like posted a picture the day I got my ASIC delivered, um, things like that. But I, I was pretty much just compiling all this information. And then once it was finished, I just, you know, published the whole article all at cool. once. Yeah. Um, how, how was your reception on that? A lot of people attract to it pretty fast. It was, I think, you know, in hindsight, I kind of want to say it was more of like a slow buildup over time. Mm -hmm. um, because like, you know, if we, if we back up like a year, the only person out there that I could find that was saying mining at home was possible was diverter. Everyone right. else was, was looking at diverter and looking at me and saying like, you guys are crazy. So, so actually like when I first put it out there, a lot of the responses I got were, were negative and they were saying like, you, you can't do that. It's not profitable. Like you're wasting your money. Like congratulations on buying a three thousand dollar doorstop. Like, right. Yeah, and look at look where we are right now. So that's that's pretty cool. So somebody that's been thinking about this, that's gone through the process that you've gone through, as far as the mental, the emotion, emotional, you know, tug of war, and of course, you know, the the crap you get on Twitter. I mean, what are you going to tell somebody that that wants to start mining, like you know? this winter like right now i mean what what are going to be their benefits because you know we talk about heat and how to use that heat and everything what are you what are you doing there at your place so you know i think there there's really kind of two schools of thought when it comes to mitigating the heat and it's it's either like a problem for you that you're just trying to manage or it's a resource for you that you're trying to harvest and so you know for me um right now it's a problem for me and so all i'm doing with my heat is i i've actually got um like an abandoned chimney in my house so i've just ducked the hot air into that chimney 
and it's just right. going right up the flue and out the roof. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't know if you saw, but I, I recently got a shipping container. And so I'm working on doing a full build out in that shipping container in my backyard. And um, I'm going to have both air cooled and immersion uh, systems in there. Um, so, you know, I might use the immersion to like do some radiant heating inside the shipping container. Um, you know, for me personally, I'm, I'm not too worried about trying to harvest that heat resource. Um, but everybody's situation is unique. And, and there's some people out there that have come up with some really creative solutions to harvest that resource and like duct it back into their HVAC systems. I don't, I don't have an HVAC system here at this house. So, you know, that's part of the reason I'm not going that route. Um, but yeah, and, and even people have set up like immersion systems with their boilers. And I do have a boiler here. So that is something I might be looking into. Um, but, you know, it, it's really like this, this idea that you can start accumulating more Bitcoin without exposing yourself to those kyc risks right and and you're actually getting like a better deal on the like your money is going further when you're mining so the money i spend on the electric bill like i for like one asic i spend like 10 bucks a day on electricity but it's generating like 20 bucks a day worth of bitcoin sure and obviously that fluctuates, but, you know, I just think there's a lot to be said for people who want to increase the nominal amount of Bitcoin they have, and they don't want to expose themselves to that KYC risk, and they want to get the best deal on the market for their money. Um, and if you can, like, come up with some creative solution to harvest that heat and use it to heat your home, then you're saving on energy costs there you're making like more practical uses out of the the asics byproduct um you know i i just think it it, it can really be a win-win for a lot of people yeah I, I think the, the the drawback is you know we can't generalize here because everybody lives from the cities to the country to the small towns to the, you know what all it is and so there's something out there that you just spoke to to a lot of people that are in the same situation so that's really what you can speak to and that's what really matters and so there's it's it's probably not you can't even argument that the the benefits of it if you're willing to put in the education and the the intentional want to to learn basically how how to do it you know and once again that goes down to low time preference it's saying hey i'm i'm willing to commit to this so let, you know i'm going to see this through because i have to <laughs> there's no yeah. skirting around this and so there you know you see patterns like this you know people that are successful in mining it's because it works for them and it works for them in a way that they they know that they can leverage and, I, you know, I think that's what you're basically saying, you know, and I travel so much. I have not looked enough into mining. So that's one thing I wanted to talk to you about is this like, how are you approaching it? And what is your situation? You know, I've heard people wanting to do hot houses now, you know, use that heat for hot houses to grow, you know, because I've been oh, working yeah. in, the, in the food intelligence stuff. And I see that as a good uh, roadmap for a lot of people. And that'll be fun to kind of see where that goes if there was, you know, some type of successes with that. 
Right. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's people out there that are like taking the like methane byproduct from their, you know, biogases from hogs or whatever and using those to run a generator that's, you know, running the ASICs, producing Bitcoin. And then if you take that heat and use it for a grow house, you know, you can have like a climate controlled area that you can grow in year round that's running from fuel provided by your livestock. Um, (laughs) It's incredible. Like it's amazing. I mean, it's, it's like a new, I, I, I try not to use this word too much, but there's a form of a renaissance that's going on here. And and it's, it's a, we're we're capable of doing it now. This is it. And, you know, I think that's what people are waking up to. And, you know, because you are, you're, you're tying all these loose ends together and they're saying, Hey, let's talk to each other. Right. Let's leverage, let's leverage each other. And the reason people are getting there, one of the reasons is because of the decentralized way of thinking that Bitcoin gives you. So, yeah. Yeah. I had, um, you know, my, my education is, is I have a background in audio technology. Do you? And, yeah. But my, my professional life has been all mechanical. So, you know, I just, I just quit a job working for a railroad contractor that I had been at for the last 10 years. Um, so I, I, I could never make money with audio, but I was, very driven to learn about it and i pursued it in college that's what i wanted to do i just couldn't pay my mortgage (laughs) running sound at a dive bar but uh but i never thought i would use i would use any of those skills again especially like getting into bitcoin but then we then I figured out how loud this ASIC was and and I actually started pulling on a lot of those strings from my past life and tried to incorporate some stuff that I had learned in the design of the enclosure I built to try and mitigate the noise. Um, so that was just an interesting loose end. Yeah, well, well, yeah. Talk more about that because sound is a problem. I mean, how how were you able to approach that? So the, you know, the way I did it was I just, I designed an enclosure out of, you know, I tried using two different materials. I used MDF and plywood. Um, When you use materials that have different densities, it helps, you know, kind of like confuse the sound waves. So they, they hit one density of material and it affects the wave one way. And then if it hits another material with a different density, it affects the sound wave a different way. Um, so by layering different densities of materials, you can actually like do a pretty good job interrupting the sound wave propagation. Right. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, uh, something that has another density set is air. So I, I tried putting a gap of air, like a half inch air gap in between the plywood and the MDF. Um, right. You know, that I, makes a lot of sense. I was a little disappointed. I got I got ten decibels of attenuation, which humans perceive as being half as loud. So from that standpoint, I I got it down to be half as loud, and and that's really good. It was enough that it didn't bother my kids, whose room was directly above where I had this thing installed. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't quite as much sound attenuation as I had wanted. 
And then you've got Steve Barber who just came out with the black box. And what he did there was he forces the air through this torturous path. And, and that he, his initial design, I think he had over 20 decibels of noise attenuation, which means you are perceiving that as being a quarter as loud. Um, so it was, you know, that's just, I'm really excited about the black box because that's like an instant problem solver for people who maybe they don't have any DIY skills and they don't want to like sure. spend their weekends at Home Depot and throw in sawdust in their driveway to build an enclosure. You can get this black box, no ventilation infrastructure required. It makes the sound go away. It's weatherproof, so you can just keep it outside. You don't have to bring this industrial grade equipment into your house um so i think that's going to be huge for people who want to get into my well i think it's a game changer in a lot of ways because it covers it, it covers so many bases as far as what's been the issue of what i know you know limited knowledge that i do have but the you know with what i've picked up i mean it is that the the boxes it's going to be fun to watch people jump all over it man and start posting you know how they're using it and how easy it is or what the challenges are you know go through this iteration we're about to see an iteration basically with mining and it's going to be fun to watch because people are going to jump on and they're going to go for it so that's a good point you bring up um as far as knowing your sounds are you doing anything right now um beyond like any type of your presence your brand or anything are you doing any audio work or anything like that right now no no not right now um i think you know i i am gonna start doing like a podcast are you just like a really short and sweet like um just to kind of like give people a pulse on to give people interested in mining at home a pulse Mm -hmm. on the mining landscape um you know so i've you know i've obviously still got some of my old recording equipment so i'll use that um but as far as like content you know i might do like little video clips here and there um but but really most of my content is just like written and uh like still image content that i put on my blog yeah, I didn't know how far you're going to try to branch out or just try to stay pretty focused on what's gotten you here and just, you know, make the quality stand out instead of, you know, making a means to an end or something like that. Um, there's a lot of audio work that's available out in the podcast world and especially in Bitcoin. So, you know, for those audio guys wanting to get started, there's a lot of people, you know, go ahead and pursue the audio. That's my point. I, w- I work with some people out of Austin and they're, they're they remind me of being in Austin in the nineties and audio yeah. and video was big. And right. I think we're at that point in time right now, as far as communication, you know, where people are listening, anybody can be a podcaster, all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of cool skills that are coming to the surface that right. are going to be needed, going to be needed. You know, you're using them in a different way, but other guys that are going to come into this that I've always been kind of like that, you know, been, listening to audio or you know pirate radio since they were 12 or something like that i see you know a lot of audio opportunity in the bitcoin space awesome that's good to hear yeah i i see the production coming along you know you have podcast 2.0 there's a lot of stuff happening that some people don't realize and it's going to be exciting exciting to watch it kind of play out 
Yeah, I, I'm. It, that gives me hope for people that are pursuing audio because, like, mm-hmm. back when I was graduating college, like, what was happening at that time? You know, this this was a long time ago, but what was happening was there were these like software tools coming out that were making it really easy to call yourself an audio engineer. And, and suddenly like you download pro tools and everybody's an audio engineer and you, you put these little like apps in everybody's hands and, and suddenly it like really, it really minimized the value people were willing to spend on like a technically trained sound technician, audio engineer. Um, because now you don't need to go to a recording studio. You can just play guitar in front of your phone and upload it to YouTube and you're a sensation overnight. Like you don't need the like highly trained skills of a sound design team to get your content out there. And so like right when I graduated college, man, it was just like this, there was just this incoming flood that of content and people didn't need audio engineers anymore. Right. So I'm glad to hear that, that that's kind of coming full circle and people are starting to recognize the difference between quality sounding audio and video. Yeah. Cause we kind of had to pirate our way into this and I I'm guilty. I'm as guilty as anybody right now. Cause my audio is not up to speed yet, but it's getting better and better, but you know, it's a process of getting there because I wasn't going to be a podcaster. Just my narrative is kind of catching and people are paying attention. So here we go. We create content. That's what we do. Right. And so, but I've, you know, I've, I've been getting some help. Actually, Adam Curry helped me out getting some audio equipment and, you know, he advised me and, you know, I'm starting to learn that hey, there's a lot of hungry guys out there that are getting into audio and they're going to make a difference. And these podcasts are going to get very high quality, not because it's a bad, stupid production value, but it's because they 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 value they value the value that it brings. And right. so that's what that's kind of what I'm seeing on the, you know, on the outskirts and stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, as far as mining whenever you, you talk about your kids, because that's a big kind of uh, discussion is, you know, in the house. So your kids don't ever, it's no problems whatsoever. No, they're, you know, they're curious. They know we're mining Bitcoin. They like talking about it. I try getting them to, you know, not bring it up to their teachers and their schoolmates and stuff. Cause then <laughs> get everybody in town asking questions, but um no, they're, um, you know, right now I have it in, in our basement and it's, it's in that original enclosure I had built. So I'm just running one ASIC at the moment. Um, right. You know, out in my shipping container, I've got a petahash of worth of ASICs ready to deploy. It's just, I'm waiting for the utility company to upgrade my service. I'm waiting for the electricians to install the panel and the meter. I'm waiting for some components to show up for the immersion system. So, you know, that's, that's all coming down the pike, but as it stands right now, I do have one ASIC running. It is inside our house and it is inside that enclosure that I built. So I am getting, you know, the 10 decibels of attenuation Mm -hmm. plus down in a basement 
which is kind of like back in the corner of the house anyway. So it, I mean, you can't even hardly hear it in the kitchen. You really have to strain to listen for it. That's, that's good information because I mean, that, that, you know, solves a lot of questions. A lot of people have that are just getting into it. So, uh, since you're mining, of course, you're probably, we know you're very good at self custody. Uh, let's talk about self custody because it's very important these days. I'm seeing, you know, people really need to understand what self custody really means. And it's yeah. kind of what got you started. So let's talk about that because, you know, a lot of us Bitcoiners, I mean, I'm still learning. I, I admit that, you know, you guys are, way before me but what there is there's a big curiosity and people really need to understand what do they mean by self-custody let's talk about you know the wallets you know what are we talking about here right so so when i say self-custody you know it comes back to that that radical responsibility right there's no there's no 1-800 helpline in bitcoin that's gonna like help you recover your your keys if you fall victim to like a Mt. Gox style hack. Like once it's gone, it's gone. And so, you know, unless you're unless you're holding on to the signing keys for your Bitcoin, like you that means you're trusting someone else to do it for you. And you know, I don't want to like knock anybody's approach. I'm not here to tell anyone else what to do with their money. Like who am I to past judgment. Like some people want to trade Bitcoin and they want to use it as a conduit to accumulate more fiat currency. More power to you. You know, Bitcoin is just a tool. It's just Mm -hmm. a piece of software to be used however the eye of the beholder wants to use it or however it's seen in the eye of the beholder. So, you know, for some people, trusting that third party custodian that might make a lot of sense like if you're trading bitcoin but you know when we start looking around at the bigger picture and we start understanding the trade-offs you know just with kyc alone like in order to trust that custodian you have to provide them your name, your address, your social security number, your bank statements, your email, your phone number, your like all of your information, a picture of yourself holding your ID, like you have to give over all of your information. And then that information is used to irrevocably connect the Bitcoin that you're purchasing with your identity. And we know that these exchanges and these trusted third-party custodians are turning around and selling this data to three-letter agencies. So if you're buying Bitcoin on an exchange and trading, like that's one thing. But if you're just using an exchange and using KYC services to accumulate Bitcoin because you think like somehow you, you can just buy bitcoin and you're participating in some sort of revolution you're not because the the on the back end of that like you are fueling and providing the information needed for the state to enforce tyranny all governments trend toward tyranny and the more information you provide them about yourself and the more information you provide them about your finances like the more you enable them to control you and to exert that tyranny 
over you. So there's like the risk of your freedoms hanging in the balance when you engage with KYC services. Not only that, but another risk could potentially be your life. We've already seen instances where data breaches happen because these trusted custodians are not prepared to handle the sensitivity of the information that they're dealing with. These data breaches wind up getting dumped on uh, dark web marketplaces and distributed to violent criminals who use that information to hunt people down because now they know what you look like, they know where you live, they know all your contact information, and they know how much Bitcoin you have. And so we've already seen people get their doors kicked in and beaten bloody until they hand over the signing keys for their Bitcoin. So you're risking your freedoms because the government's involved. You're risking your life because there's criminals involved. The more value there is associated with a Bitcoin, the more value there is going to be associated with the information related to individuals who own that Bitcoin. And so criminals will go to greater and greater lengths to get their hands on that information. So like the, the KYC piece of it alone is, um, you know, that, that, that's a major red flag. And those are, those are some of the trade-offs as I see them. Sure. Now, let me ask a let me ask a quick question on that. How far removed do you think the most of the people are of exactly what you just said? Because everything you said is extremely true, and so you know it's it, how far detached are most people from that reality? Well, I I don't know. I mean, I think I think a lot of people like to to pretend that uh, it, it'll never happen to them, right? And I think that's bullshit. I've been robbed at gunpoint twice, not for Bitcoin, but like it can happen to you and it can happen to anybody. And if you think that like you live in a good neighborhood or like it's not going to happen to you or nobody's going to know the difference, like, no, that's bullshit. You're, you're blindly exposing yourself to a major risk that is only going to get worse as Bitcoin becomes more valuable. True. And so, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead and finish that up. You know, the other thing I was going to say is like, you know, looking at the broader landscape, you know, so some of the trade-offs are the KYC risk because of the government, the KYC risk because of the, um, the criminals that can get that information. And, then we start looking at like what has transpired over the last two years and the means of control, the movement restrictions that have been placed on everybody in the wake of this pandemic. And, and you start thinking about what that could possibly look like in a financial landscape where money is tied to your identity. And it's not a far leap or a stretch of the imagination to realize that if you are not complying with whatever they're telling you to do, like take a vaccine or stay at home, if you're not compliant, you will have your financial livelihood shut off at the flip of a switch. Like look at the Chinese social credit system. 
And of like, course. Where, do you, where, where do you think they're trying to go with central bank digital currencies? Like they can, they, you give them that control by playing that game and giving them your identity and access to all your financial information and they'll just shut it off. And then what are you going to do? Like it, then, then you're stuck. Like I'll tell you right now, I'll take a bullet to the dome before I take that vaccine. Of course. Of course. Yeah. By far, by far that, I mean, there's no compliance there. And, you know, I've, I've said that from day one and what people don't understand is how they're trying to make us the product and they're having very good success at that. So, you know, just like you said, the social credit score score system in, you know, in China, you know, you have stakeholder capitalism now that's going in a different way. It's going to where human capital bond markets, you have hedge funds that are being created in this false layer of value that is driven by the fiat dollar. So, you know, people need to really, I think people are really starting to see that though. You know, people are starting to catch on, you know, and you're seeing it like in the food industry. I'm, you know, that's where I'm driving really hard. You're seeing it and of course, financial Bitcoin, everything like that, but you're seeing it in society as a general that people are starting to kind of catch on. And, you know, I hope is because people don't understand we're, we're in a war of information right now and it, it's it's going to get worse. And so if you if you're if you're really about self-custody of ownership of your life, then you're going to pay attention. If not, then, you know, you are going to be that kind of what we we call rent sinking. And it'll, it'll probably get you in a little trouble down here in the next couple of months, you know, within a year or two. We don't know yet. Right. And so when, if you're not taking self-custody over your Bitcoin, like either your government's going to be able to control your money or your freedoms, or a criminal's going to get that money and they're going to be knocking on your door, or like you're going to wind up having to do things that you don't want to do. You're going to give up the bodily autonomy you have in order to be able to interact with the world around you in an economical fashion. So like, Self-custody to me means that you're, you are rejecting all of that dystopia and you are taking control over your sovereignty and you are drawing that line. You are defining your space and you're saying, no, I do not have to comply with you. I'm using money that is part of a monetary network that cannot be stopped. I do not have to ask permission. It cannot be censored. And like, no, I, I will reject that dystopia. And I encourage others to, you know, really look at some of the trade-offs involved with not holding custody of your Bitcoin and, and kind of get a gauge for the opportunity that they're giving up here. Like we're talking about the separation of money and state. And, and you want to give that up because it's, it's just so easy to smash the buy button on Cash App. Like that's bullshit. Get your head well, out. Well, yeah, I mean it's that interface surface level living that you know we talk about that I talk about a lot. It's the, it's being a digital surf. You know, it's it's a form of feudalism that has been created in a virtual world, and people have to say, hey, I'm going to dive deeper now. It's it's time. Uh, you know, look at what has happened the last two years, like you brought up. It is time to say. And the thing about what I'm trying to do with the food industry, I'm doing the beef initiative, 
is say, let's change this lifestyle into where it's actually the new luxury lifestyle. You just don't realize it yet. There's something that's very empowering about this. There's something that's very entertaining. There's something that's very traditional with the family. Everybody's involved here. The kids are involved. You know, the husband and wife are involved, whoever it is, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever you want to say. And there's something there that people need to realize this is this is kind of how, you know, we, we, we're going to start thinking from here on out is that there is a luxury lifestyle. They're trying to steal something. Where we're going to innovate. And once we innovate, we're going to have a lot more freedoms than anybody else. Never knew that they were losing in the first place, but it's going to pop up. I mean, I've seen this. I've been around the world a couple of times. I see how they do these things. I have friends in different countries, you know, and all the red flags are there. This is this is moving forward. We just don't know how powerful it's going to be, but they're trying extra hard. And so if you're not taking that ownership of of your desire, you're going to have to pay a price. You're going to have to answer to that. Yeah. You know, I like to equate it to like gun ownership in that like you if you have a gun at home for your own protection, like you're doing that because you don't trust that the police are going to show up in time to save you, right? Like right. you're you're taking your life, you're taking responsibility for your life into your own hands and you are equipping yourself with the tools you need to guard yourself and to defend yourself. And like if you just leave that up to the authorities, like you're you're going to wind up in a body bag while someone makes off with your Bitcoin or whatever, you know? Yeah, like, sure. You can't trust anybody. You have to like do this yourself. And so, you know, self-custody to me is just like, it clicked right away when I started getting into Bitcoin. And, you know, I think part of that was from my background and like working with audio files and understanding like, right. You know, I, I don't know. I guess I was just kind of primed for it, but you're hardwired for it, for sure. I mean, I've, I've had friends that, you know, kind of match your profile as far as thinking and stuff. And, um, you know, I see it in you just, you know, knowing you this short time, I see where you're coming from. And it's it's good that you can utilize it in a positive way and that you can share that information because, you know, it is it, you, what you do is pretty technical, but it's, it's it's pretty intelligent stuff that you really have to, you know, you have to have a focus to you that a lot of people aren't gifted with. So you probably have that. And um, it's good that, you know, we're here now and that people can hear this podcast because, you know, it, it's going to be valuable information moving forward. And, you know, we, we talked about society and how they're thinking right now. We're talking about the people that are enforcing this stuff, we're talking about masks and, you know, what 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 is really going on with this type of psyop you know there's there's talk of you know mass formation going on there's talk talk about you know we were talking about you know how facial deception has been used in history and so kind of touch on that a little bit yeah i mean i was just saying that like you know i, I think it, it was it was a tactic to dehumanize the individual and, you know, kind of like you're saying, like bringing the values back to being family based, like this is an all out assault on the family unit. Like I never thought I was going to be 
considered a criminal for having my family over for Thanksgiving. But here we are. And so, like, if you can separate individuals from each other, and you, then it's a lot easier to turn them on each other. And so, I, you know, I really, I believe the masks were designed to dehumanize the individual, to cover their face, so that knowing when the uh, mandates and the requirements for the vaccines started coming down the pike, that it was going to be a lot easier for one group of people to diminish the value of another group of individuals' choices. And because they've just spent, you know, the the last year at that point, um, not seeing their face, they, they, you lose the human element in it. And when, when you dehumanize an individual, it's a lot easier to demonize an individual and, and to lose that human contact, you know? Yeah, they, they have a sense, a loss of self, a loss of self has occurred. And, you know, I always tell people, everybody was wearing a mask before this COVID came out. Now we know which kind of mask you were wearing, you know, and, and, and that's been, that just gets more and more true. There's people that will never take those damn masks off now because it is a sense of empowerment for them because it, you know, it is a form of losing themselves and they might not like themselves. You don't like yourself too much. Guess what? you're not going to like other people either. And then that's the demonization that you talk about. Yep. And so it's going to be interesting where we're going through. They're, they're very forecasting a lot of, uh, you know, the dark winter is upon us. And just the, the programming that is going on is amazing. I stay away from most mainstream stuff. I just shut it out anymore. I really do. I don't listen to commercials. I don't have a TV. I, I really don't pick up on much of it if it comes through twitter i know it's probably something to pay attention to so as as you're you know you're talking about family traditional values and everything how do you approach that from a family from a father and a husband how are you creating that like mind filter for your kids for your family you know just how you're living these days yeah i mean first and foremost we don't own a television right you know, so that, I didn't. I figured you didn't. So, <laughs> I mean, that's that's step number one. You know, step number two is, you know, I I think it really just comes down to leading by example, and you know, showing my son what a strong male looks like in this society, what a strong male who has well defined boundaries and the means to defend those boundaries if need be. And so, like, you know, one example is that um, my son was, we enrolled him in school. And this is, you know, just for a little caveat, we just moved out to the country from the Denver City Center. Gotcha. Or the the metro area. We weren't, like, in the city of Denver, but we were in the the metro area there. Okay. And, And so we had our son enrolled in a school. The night before school started, the county came down with a mask requirement. And we went into the school and we said, we're, we are not masking our children. Um, so we, we took him out of that and enrolled him into the homeschooling program. And this was, this was a, a Waldorf school anyway. So they were already kind of like an alternative education 
school to begin with. And I thought they were going to be cool. But, you know, when the county says you have to put masks on the kids, they listen. So we unenrolled him and put him in the homeschooling program. But part of that was he had to be in class one day a week. And so we would bring him in and he would not be wearing a mask. And the teachers would say, he, he's he got to put a mask on to come in. And we're like, no, we're not masking. You're not going to muzzle our child. Uh, and we would turn around and leave and just drop him off, you know. And then they would call us and we'd have to go back down to the school and have an argument with their teachers. And, you know, we we did this dance with them. And I'm like, you know, it really just kind of came down to me saying, look, are you suspending my son? Well, no, 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 we're we're not suspending him. And I'm like, then then what's the problem? Like when we signed up for this program, there was no mask mandate. I didn't sign up for this. So you're not going to tell me that I'm like breaking some requirement that I had already previously agreed to. So like, even though there's a a mandate, that's not a law. Like you can't tell me that this mandate supersedes my son's bodily autonomy. He doesn't want to wear a mask. He's not going to wear a mask. So, I mean, it it really just got down to like semantics with those teachers. And then I was fighting it with my former employer at the job because it was railroad related. It was federal related because it's federal related. They started requiring vaccines and all that shit for the employee. And I, my wife and I were like, all right, we're, (laughs) we're checking out of this clown world. Let's go to the country. So we did that. But, you know, really, I think it's just having those hard conversations in front of my son and not compromising on the values that I want to instill in him. And, you know, when I draw a line in the sand, I will defend that line and I will guard it. And I'm not going to compromise who I am. I'm not going to like let someone else's psychosis affect what I'm doing with my own body personally. And, you know, I've been trying to demonstrate to my son how to engage with people in an intelligent way, using my words to try and talk through these situations and follow them through to their logical end where, you know what, like, we're still not complying, but now we're leaving. Like we we've reached the end of the road with this discussion and like what you're saying is just completely crazy to us. And what we're saying to you is completely crazy to you. So we're going our separate ways now. What was the reaction by them, by you guys doing that? The school? Yeah. I mean, they were, they were upset. They, I mean, because it, it, it was kind of like a heated discussion, you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, we told them we wanted something in writing and, and I'm like, if you're not suspending my son, like you have to put in writing what actions you're taking and why, like, you can't just tell me to come pick up my kid from school. Like, is he in trouble? No. Is he suspended? No. Then like, what exactly are you doing here? Put it in writing for me. And when I said that, then they wanted to get their lawyers involved. And I was like, hey, how do the lawyers write something up? And, and, you know, they never delivered anything to us. And, you know, by that time, we already were under contract and in the midst of selling our home. So, 
That's a, that's pretty cool though. I mean, people want to hear that because you're right. I mean, people, the mandates are not a freaking law. You don't have to do anything. You're going to have to be prepared to do whatever it takes like you guys have done. So, you know, that I think that's where we are. Like you said, there's a line in the sand that is being drawn right now. And it's, it's about teaching our sons. Like my son and I just drove from part of Texas to down to Austin and we had car trouble and um, just out in the middle of nowhere. And I said, you're going to pay attention to how we solve this. He's 17 years old. There was no stress or anything, but we got it taken care of in like a day and a half. He got to experience that stuff. And he saw his dad say, man, this is, this is kind of an adventure actually because we were in the middle of nowhere texas and you know it was very low time preference and i said you're going to remember this day for a very long time i said you're going to be able to have these skills to know how to handle the situation so you know i'm i'm as a, that's how i'm bringing everything to my son as well saying hey you need to be impeccable with your word you need to be very intentional about your thinking you need to shut all this other stuff out and i'm going to be able to shield you right now but there'll be a day that I do not shield you. So, you know, get prepared for that. My boy's probably a little bit older than yours. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the, the best you can do, I think, is to just try and prepare them to, to really stay true to themselves. Yeah, exactly. Because that's one thing that they have successfully done. They've taken the family out of the household and they've taken the parent, they've taken the parent out of parenting. Right. And they've, and they're about to do it even more with all this crap that they're doing, you know, with meta, everything that's capturing with our data, you know, the track and trace, everything that they're accomplishing in these educational programs too, as far as getting them on these blockchains, this new NFT system that they're creating. People just really don't understand that. Right. Yeah, no, they're, it's crazy, man. Like a lot of people just talk about like NGU and all these like big gains they're going to make. And I'm just looking mm-hmm. at the situation like, dude, what's, what's the point of being a millionaire if you have to ask permission to spend that money? Like, exactly, it, exactly. It makes me think of that Pink Floyd song. Um, like, would you rather be, would you rather play the lead role in a cage or the walk on part in a war? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in that, you know, bringing that type of perspective is it needs to be talked about more. And in the, the I don't want to say sense of urgency, but the sense of, of, of true awareness is required here. You know, it's just not smash that buy button. You know, it really isn't like you said. Right. Yeah. So tell people. No, what, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say there, there's no like revolution in that like you're not <laughs> but you're, you're buying like big that's not real bitcoin you know kyc bitcoin is a shit coin and you're not going to be able to use it in a permissionless way and if you can't use permissionless money then all you're doing is regurgitating the failed legacy system that bitcoin was invented to solve for in the first place 
And that's a lot of clarity that people are going to start understanding. And so, you know, these on-ramps to be able to do like what you're doing, your lifestyle and everything, people want to know where to get started. Um, one thing I want to do is maybe turn this into like a three-part series. But what I want to also talk about is, is you know, how are you, how are you approaching your food right now? Because you're out in the country and all that. And, you know, I'm doing the, the beef initiative. I wanted to hear what your thoughts are on, you know, farming, ranching, regenerative, being in the country making the transformation from the city to the country yeah so like i fully support people like growing their own food i've been like super paranoid about monsanto for like longer than i'd like to admit right Um, (laughs) you're the smart one yeah no dude like you know my 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 mom was a pretty healthy eater um and fortunately for me uh you know i ate pretty well growing up um and then when I was out on my own um, as a bachelor, you know, I, I ate like shit. But once I got married, you know, my wife uh, is is very obsessed about the quality of her food. And so we only eat organic food. Um, we spend a freaking fortune on food, but it is all organic. Um, we don't eat any processed food. We have 26 chickens, so we've got like all of our own eggs. Um, we're working on getting a goat pasture set up so that we can start doing the goat dairy. Um, so we're, you know, we're starting small, but this was always kind of our long-term goal was to get out of the city, to get a small piece of land with a nice house and just have enough room to make a little like, miniature homestead where we're producing some of our own food and so you know it's it's not going to happen this winter but hopefully by next spring we've got our hoop house set up for all of our vegetables um and you know hopefully by then we've got the goats and the the dairy from that and then our chickens and you know we'll continue supplementing whatever we can produce on our own with what we have to get at the at that natural grocery store um, as far as that natural grocery store, is that is that something that has been there a long time or is it something that is kind of starting to, to pop up? Because there's there's a lot of food sheds that are popping up across some small towns that I've seen. Yeah, it's the natural grocery. It's like a chain, but it's okay, like they, gotcha. only, they only sell like organic, locally sourced food. Right. Gotcha. Um, so. I don't know how long natural grocers has been around, but I, I think like as yeah, a company, them. it's been around for quite a while. Um, the particular one that, that we drive out to, um, I don't know how long it's been there, but, but yeah, that's, that's where we get our food. Um, you say it's more expensive and, you know, you spend a lot of money on food, but people don't realize in the long run, it's actually cheaper because you're going to eat less because you're going to eat more nutritionally valued protein, all of the stuff that we know. And so it really, to me, I mean, I, I, I spent a lot less money than I ever did. I don't go to the grocery store very often anymore either. And, um, you know, I love it. And it's something that, you know, I think a lot of people don't understand how to achieve, and you know the transformation that you need to go through physically as far as taste of you know looking at food in a different way bringing some food intelligence into your life and how important it is moving forward right now because they're about to they're about to 
stack another a fake commodity on top of all this fake food that we already have. And, you know, that's coming down the pipe. And so um, that's what I'm going to do basically moving forward. How do you guys source your protein? I, you know, being where you are now, you're kind of new out there. What do you see around your, as far as your options? So, I mean, there are some cattle ranches around here. I, maybe ranch is the wrong term. There are some like farms that have cattle on them. Um, I don't know if, I don't know if there's like a local market here that like kind of bridges that gap between the, the farm and the marketplace. Right. Um, you know, but I am interested in finding out because right now we're just, whenever we buy meat, we buy it from natural grocers. Right. And, you know, and it's, it's all organic and grass fed and free range and that's all great. But God, we're paying a fortune for it. I would much rather like find somebody I can team up with and buy half a cow and just put it in a freezer and then, you know, use that for a year. That's what I'm trying to get towards. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of what we're doing at the first, the front end of the beef initiative. We're going to, you know, we're going to have a searchable database and the index. And also though, people like, like if you go out and you find a local rancher and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to ask you if that's, you know, something you'll share with us, if you have that, you know, success, but you'll be able to come to like the beef initiative and you'll be able to do that input. You'll say, Hey, I found this guy out here and you know, he's, he's good. And you don't even have to say who you are or anything like that. You're just putting input for some guy that, Hey, he wants to sell some beef you know that's what he's doing but see he can't because he doesn't have those on ramps to get to the people like us and the people that are people that are really looking for that because they have to go through a system you know as far as usda fda you know the marketing all the the layered social media most of these guys go through insta you know instagram or facebook or something like that you know they're trapped in ways that they don't understand as far as getting to the right customers the people that truly appreciate what they're doing and you know they they, they usually get their food processed by a local processor you know they don't have to follow the, the rules they don't realize they're already living somewhat of a decentralized life as far as their food sourcing and production and you know that's just something that i'm going to try to bring together is the bitcoiners and the beef producers that are doing it locally so yeah, i think it's going to have some legs to it there's a lot of interest into it and you know it's it's something that you know it fits your lifestyle to a t you know and there's a lot of people that do do that they go up and they team up with somebody and say hey i want that cow whenever it's ready to, you buy that cow before it's even processed and say hey i'm going to come pick up that cow in six months and it's yeah. going to be, you know, I want half and this other, and they'll put your name on it. Boom, you're done. You have food security for the next year for your family. And it is cheaper. You can get you can get it down to where there's some place you get a half a cow. You can get it around under eight dollars a pound. You know, you wow. look at the prices at natural groceries. You look at the prices in the supermarkets. You're going to have a wide variety of cuts that you don't ever even get from a supermarket. So to be able to leverage that cow in a way that we're not giving access to. It speaks Bitcoin, it speaks decentralization, it speaks ownership, it speaks everything that we're already doing, but it just points it towards pure animal protein. So um, I think this is going to be kind of fun 
because people across the country are going to start, you know, giving input to the platform. And we're going to start learning a lot about where people, you know, if they choose to be, nobody wants to dox themselves, of course. But if they want to be part of the, the conversation, they're going to be able to give a lot of valuable intelligence that we're going to be able to broadcast out to a lot of different channels. And people are going to start talking about this shit at their, you know, at their dinner tables. They're going to say, we've got to do this. We've got to get off this dependency of this, right. this industry that's been poisonous in the last 50 years. Right, so. exactly. Didn't they just pass something up in Wyoming last year about like ranchers can now sell without like having to go through the, the USDA hoops? Yeah, I think in the state of Washington or Wyoming, I'm sorry, uh, they've done that in Wyoming. Of course, Texas, you can sell in the Texas state lines if you're Texas certified. So there's each state is going to be different to where, you know, you have to play by those state and those federal rules. But there's going to be some movement, I think, within a lot of states saying, hey, we want to we want to handle the processing on our own. We, we don't mind keeping it in our state. We don't mind keeping it in our community, but we're going to start taking control of our food. And that's what we're going to start moving for. I want to have a processor in every county in the state of Texas. That way we know that these communities have access to local beef that is being grown by somebody that you actually know that can make a living on selling to you directly and you can help be part of that community and you know help raise those kids because you're feeding those kids. We're going to bring that type of lifestyle mindset back. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's a good time because people are starting to get aware right now. Right. Well, and there's just so much risk. Like, God, if you're not taking the vaccine willingly, like, there's mm-hmm. no guarantee they're not going to start sneaking it into your food or sneaking whatever they want or that they already have been for the last few decades. Like, well, yeah, they just had a lawsuit that they the FDA won, and it was considering the grass rule generally recognized as safe. I'm sure you know about that, but they won a, a high court decision to where they they get to put another thousand chemicals in your food, and they don't have to tell you what it is. And you know, yeah, and nobody pays attention to this, you know, shit, and they they just keep on consuming because a lot of, you know, people's high, you know, their taste buds have been hijacked. You know, people don't think about food in the way they should be thinking about food. And it is, it's getting to be pretty dangerous because, you know, you think about a thousand new chemicals, at least somewhere around there, who knows the number, but they won the lawsuit saying, Hey, we don't have to tell you, we say it's safe. So it's safe. And that's it. They don't have to go any deeper than that. To your point about like how, how expensive, organic food is or isn't like think about how much your medical bills are going to be after eating shit food for 50 years and like what kind of damage that's going to do to your body and what kind of weird like problems you're going to develop because you've just been eating shitty food pumped full of shitty chemicals for your whole life so like you know organic food may be a little more expensive on the front end but I, I tell you, I'm probably never going to have like cholesterol problems or some of these other health issues that are related to dietary problems that stem from eating junk food. 
Yeah. And people don't even realize what junk food is. I mean, they don't even know when they're eating it because, you know, let's just, I always talk about rapeseed, you know, canola isn't everything, you know, soy oil, you know, all these seed oils that are so freaking poisonous, man, they could, you know, that could be used for oil in your car and people just, they don't take the time to kind of look at that and how truly valuable that's going to start becoming you know, we have to bring a new level of food intelligence to the discussion and especially to our kids, because, you know, the United States government has a lot of control over public schools and the, the feeding programs now. So if people are stuck in the feeding programs of, you know, the, the federal education system. They're bringing all kinds of crap to your your child and your child's never going to have a, a chance to actually truly be who they should be. Right. Absolutely. So we're doing a lot within the beef initiative and everything. And I knew that you were kind of in that direction as well. So I kind of wanted to hear your, your kind of, you know, we're just touching the surface of everything that you're doing. Um, I really would like to make this into kind of a three part series and kind of get a little bit deeper next time. If, you, if you're willing to, if you're willing to do that, tell me about uh, the spring. Are you going to be speaking in Miami? Yep. So uh, April, I think it's like the first weekend in April, like I'll basically be down there like the 6th through the 10th. Okay. Um, there's, there's two conferences going on back to back. So one of them is put on by Bitcoin Magazine. It's called Bitcoin 2022. Um, uh, in that conference, you're going to have a panel on mining at home. And so I'm going to be speaking on that panel. And then immediately after that conference, there's the Guns and Bitcoin conference, which I'll be a return speaker to next year. Um, And at that conference, I'm going to be giving a presentation on self-custody. Awesome. So we didn't even get to guns and Bitcoin and everything. So there's so much that we've got to discuss. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Tell me, tell me how long, what was the path getting there to be able to, to present your, your, your knowledge and everything, uh, to speak and all that? Because I think a lot of guys out there want to be heard in a way, and they need, they need to share their voices. Kind of tell me your roadmap that you've taken up to now to where, you know, you have the confidence and it's something that you're, you're, you're truly giving some value back to the community. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, it just kind of grew organically, really. I was, you know, posting content on Twitter, um, just like in the form of threads. And then, you know, I started getting a little nervous about what happens if I'm censored and I lose my Twitter account. So that's when I started hosting my blog and Mm -hmm. transferring some of my content from Twitter onto my blog. And then once I found that, I, I had a little bit more room to get a little more creative and a little more long winded with what I was writing. And so I was writing these more detail oriented guides and, and then Bitcoin magazine saw those guides, those articles that I was publishing and they approached me and said, we love your content. Like, would you like to start publishing content with Bitcoin magazine? So then I started doing more like technically focused guides for Bitcoin magazine. Um, And that, you know, got more attention from more people. And then uh, the organizers of Guns and Bitcoin saw the guides and the articles I was putting out, and they said, "You you seem to be really well versed in this stuff, and you're articulate in the way you write. Um, would you be interested in in 
giving a presentation on mining at home. And so I said, yeah, absolutely. So I, you know, just kind of threw a PowerPoint together. And um, I think I, I, I have a confidence about me that like, I, I like, I enjoy public speaking, you know, I'm not afraid of public speaking. Um, so I, I, you know, I took that opportunity to deliver some like good um, home mining content and basically take the article I had written and kind of condense it down into a short presentation. And, right. and you know, that I think went really well and, you know, people talk and rumors spread and, and they, you know, the word got around that I gave a good presentation. And so guns and Bitcoin invited me back to do um, self custody this year. And then, you know, continuing to produce content and interact with people on Twitter, the Bitcoin magazine wanted to have a panel on home mining because it's, it's kind of become this, like you said, like a renaissance and over the last year, like, holy hell, has a lot of activity come up about everybody mining at home. And it's, it's become this topic that can't be ignored and it deserves its own moment at the Bitcoin conference. And so they wanted to honor that. And, you know, I was one of the first people that they thought of when they had that idea. So they reached out to me and, um, and I said, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go out there and speak and you know, just a, like a week ago, a week and a half ago, I was in Nashville for the, um, there was a, a Bitcoin meetup and they were, yeah, saw that. Dis- yeah they were going to be discussing mining. And, and so Matt Odell reached out to me and said, dude, do you want to come out here and talk about mining Bitcoin at home? And, you know, any opportunity I can get to like, get in front of people and tell them, about the like how powerful the potential of mining bitcoin at home can be for you and what it can do for you you know i try to capitalize on that opportunity and and do it you know well i think i think this is going to be your year man i think that you're going to really freaking uh you're going to have a good year and i say that you know based on like positivity you know based on like empowering based on like hey man you know, Econo helped me solve some riddles here, you know, and this is, this is going to be fun to watch you this year, you know, as far as presentation, as far as the, you know, just evolving into, you know, making this something that is just, like I said before, like a lifestyle. And, um, you know, that's going to be, that's going to be cool to watch. Um, I want for a lot of people, cause, um, let's always, you know, we, we can't generalize too much, but there's people out there that don't know anything about you or they don't know anything about me. So go out there, let everybody know how they can get a hold of you. I'm, I'm real easy to get a hold of. I use the handle Econo Alchemist everywhere. So okay. like, so Twitter, I'm Econo Alchemist. My blog is econoalchemist.com. I'm on Telegram, Threema, um, Matrix, Keybase, so like I, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, but Twitter is probably where I'm the most active. Cool, and you're you're very approachable and everything. So, you know that's what we're doing here. We're open sourcing so much. So, um, right. man, I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, let's do it after the first of the year, and let's let's get sure, a little bit deeper yeah. into that because I want people to kind of listen to this one and say because this was kind of introduction. You know, we got a lot more layers to go down into that I think people will be pretty interested in hearing. 
Awesome. Well, hey, man, you and your family have a great Christmas and everything, and uh, we'll be reaching out soon. And um, I'll get this posted up probably in the next couple of days. All right, cool. Thanks for the opportunity. I hope your listeners hey. enjoy, and I look forward to talking to you again. You bet, Econo. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Take care. All right. Thanks, you too.